episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This is kind of a dual purpose that we're doing The Toxic Avenger today from 1984. Um, First of all, this is a request that's been in our queue for a little while, ever since we did Poultrygeist from Troma, the infamous Troma Movie Studios. One of our regular listeners, Phantom Dark Dave, who has a podcast called Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, which you should check out. He requested this, and it so happens that just recently it was announced there is a remake in the works, uh, a reboot, if you will, uh, with the original creators involved, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz uh, being producers, and then uh, a guy named Macon Blair, who's going to be writer and director. I don't really know anything about this guy. Um, He's done a number of movies, though. He did a, a horror film called Green Room not too long ago. Had you heard about that one? Nope. Nope. Yeah, me neither. But anyway, he's going to be writer and director, and this film is apparently in pre-production. For years, for decades, really, there has been talk of rebooting or remaking this film. There have been several sequels. None of them have been terribly successful. There was a TV series. It was a cartoon, of all things, a crazy cartoon geared towards kids called Mm -hmm. The Toxic Crusaders that you might remember from the early 90s. And that only went on for about a season. I don't think it really caught on, but it was sort of an environmentally aware cartoon about, kind of like Captain Planet they were trying to mimic, I think. Making Toxie this family, child-friendly kind of superhero who had a bunch of kids around him, and they were running around kind of saving the planet, more or less, from the evil, I don't know, it was like environmental smog monsters or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I never watched it. Did you? Uh, I don't remember ever watching it, but I do. I mean, I can see it in my head. I remember the cartoon version. I remember the theme song. Oh, good. Toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders, they're gross, but they still get girls. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I love it when you sing. I, I mean, know we, you do. That's why we, I have we, to do, we, do We have to do a musical episode someday. <laughs> That'll be a short episode. <laughs> You'd be better at it than me, too. I know you're a better singer. Uh, <laughs> you just don't do it as often as I do. You need to jump. No, in it's here. true. Come on, <laughs> don't leave me hanging out here. We get duet next time. No, what, fun trivia. Todd and I have sung together on stage before. We have, like... <laughs> we have indeed, and they didn't boo us off. That I recall. It's true. Yeah. No, I think we were pretty good. <laughs> I hold fond memories of that of that uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, we're here not to talk about us, but to talk about the Toxic Avenger through us. And I want to hear about you, Craig. What do you know about the Toxic Avenger? Oh, man, you know, not a lot. Uh, I mean, I've always, I guess, kind of been aware of it. Uh, I've seen the the box art on the shelves back in the day, and I kind of knew what it was, but I never really... To be frank... (laughs) <laughs> um there there is an audience for trauma movies yes. uh, and I'm and I'm not it <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's just they're they're just not my thing and I I'm really a little perplexed like I would really like to you know talk to somebody who is a big trauma fan and mm. and ask them what the uh what the big appeal is cuz I kind of just don't get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like they, you know, they're doing something specific and with a specific purpose in mind. Um, but I, I just don't know that I get 
what the point is of intentionally making these bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> now, I love the underlying assumption behind what you said, and that is that you're not talking to a trauma fan now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I know you are, and, and we've, you know, we've talked about it, and, and I, I kind of get it, I guess. I don't know. Well, I don't know. This is, this is a very, very specific, like, subgenre of film. It is, it is so specific that there's nobody else making movies like this. Like, yeah. nobody else makes movies like Trauma does. And I think part of that is their appeal, is that they're so different and so unique and so original in their intentional campiness, their mix of extreme humor with extreme violence, with extreme sex. But all of it is done in a way that is, um, I don't know, anywhere from competent to passable. And sometimes there are moments of brilliance. But people are so obsessed with the studio. And and not quite to the same extent that Roger Corman's studio has really um, blossomed and given a start to a lot of really big directors and actors and writers and things that we have now. You know, we've talked about that before. Troma has a few. Um, maybe the most visible one right now is James Gunn. James Gunn, who's, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Slither. Oh, yeah. He's huge He's now. huge. He's, he's yeah, oh, yeah. He got his start with Troma, you know? He wrote Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, God, I didn't know that. Yeah, wrote Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, his brother's in it. He has a big part in it. You know, his brother, who he puts in a lot of his movies. He wrote several things for the studio. In fact, Lloyd Kaufman's uh, sort of autobiography slash the best thing we have from him as far as a book, as far as the starting of the studio... All I Needed to Know I Learned from the Toxic Avenger was co-written by James Gunn. I mean, he, wow. he probably did most of the writing, to be honest. You know, it's like, like one of those deals. Yeah, I mean, James Gunn's one of the biggest guys in Hollywood right now. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. So there, there are a few people like that. Even one of the actors in this movie. I mean, he, no, he's not a big name, but, you know, he's gone on and, and, and been a very steady working actor in television. So there are a few stories like that, not a lot. But the one thing is certain is that this, <laughs> this trauma has carved out such a little niche for itself that it somehow is always successful. And I don't mean wildly successful, but I mean they don't go bankrupt. Let's, let's put it right. that way. Um, they've come close. But they have such a core following that most of their movies are made so cheaply that all the money goes into the distribution and the marketing and you know whatever has, money has to go into. And almost everybody who works on these movies does it for free. And that even goes back to this film. Almost everybody who works on these movies does it for free, just because they like trauma so much, they believe in what they do, they want to say they were involved, and usually they end up doing it over such horrendous conditions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they're so cheap. You know, they're they're getting you know cheese sandwiches on set, and you know, yeah. being put in big rooms and things like that. But they do it. They'll travel from across the world to do it because people are so obsessed with it. And and all of this, yet it's almost like. Hollywood doesn't even know that trauma exists. Like, most people don't, you know? If you're not into these movies, you, this is not even a blip on your radar. Right. How weird is that? It, it, maybe a little bit more now in the internet age when people, you know, you can go down rabbit holes and you can find weird and wacky stuff you weren't aware of. Maybe more people are aware of trauma, but, trauma. but for the most of its history, you had to really either seek it out or stumble upon it or find somebody else who was a really big fan to even know what this movie was. And then chances are, I don't know, 80, 20, 90, 10, 
that you're not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this movie, I started watching it, and the first half, maybe, or I don't know, maybe the first half hour, um, is so goofy. And, like, the acting is so hammy. Like, just, like, ridiculously over-the-top hammy. Would you take a look at that fucking guy? The mop boy. Can't even mop right. <laughs> He's so stupid. He's always got that shit-eating grin on his face. What's he so happy about? <laughs> I hate that mop boy. I think that creep's coming over here. Julie, you uh, smell something? Ooh, P.U. What's that stink? Gee, that, that, that's funny. I don't smell nothing. And it's clearly a choice, you yes. know. It's 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 not like it's just incompetence. It's not like they've no. clearly made the choice to go this far over the top. Um, and the main character, Melvin, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that plays him in the beginning, is just so 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 ridiculous and and hammy over the top. You know, like he's supposed to be this big nerd uh, or whatever. Again, you know, trauma is not uh, afraid of throwing around the derogatory R word to describe its characters, and and that's. You know, he, he's he's playing, you know, kind of junior high, <laughs> the way that people make fun of people with mental handicaps. Like, that's that's kind of what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, uh, I don't know. It's not even, I, I wasn't offended. I'm not easily offended. I wasn't offended. I, you know, I understand what's going on here. They're not trying to be politically correct. That's no. fine. I, I don't have any problem with that, but it's... But Craig, did you did you really read him as kind of mentally handicapped? I just read him as like super over-the-top, stereotypical, like nerd, loser kind of thing. Like straight out of like Mad Magazine. You know what I mean? I never read him as like, he actually was like, had a problem. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say that I did either, except for that other characters call him retarded. And, and that's a, an ugly word that we used to throw around all the time. Yeah, for just anything. I did. Yeah. yeah, I did. You know, I'm, you know, it was a different time. It's not like I'm going to look back and feel terrible about it now. It was just a, a, a different time, and yeah. we're luckily, you know, a little bit more sensitive to things like that now. But, um, so I don't know. I mean, just, it, it was so over the top and I, I, I wish that I could say, you know, I found his character endearing, but really he was just kind of annoying. Annoying. Yeah. So, you know, that first half hour, I I was kind of rolling my eyes like, oh gosh, you know, so, (laughs) so goofy. Um, once he actually turns into the Toxic Avenger, I started to enjoy it more. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that I liked it, but really, um, I appreciated it more. And I kind of, you know, there are, <laughs> it's so silly to even delve this deep into a movie like this, but, you know, I felt like it kind of had something to say about... Yeah environmentalism and also you know like um accepting p 
people for their positive qualities as opposed to just what they look like on the surface. And I, I, there are little bits and pieces of it that I can appreciate. And and the Toxic Avenger became a sympathetic character. Yeah, I I liked him, and and I liked when he met a blind girl who could appreciate him for who he was, and and love him for who he was, and and even though he's this you know quote unquote monster hero, he was taking out the bad guys, and I liked that the bad guys were getting their comeuppance. So. There were things to appreciate about it. You know, overall, was it my cup of tea? Definitely not. But uh, it's not that I couldn't at least see some heart in it and, and see that, uh, you know, there, there were some things, there are things to appreciate about it. Well, I'll you know, I, I think some of this that you're talking about really might also get to the heart of why trauma has a certain appeal. All of the one thing trauma is is consistent. And trauma, when we say trauma, it, it's the movie studio. It's basically two guys. Michael Hertz is more or less behind the scene. He's taken the director's chair sometimes with Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman is the front and center guy. He's like you know the Steve Jobs of trauma. He's always out there, uh, relentlessly promoting his films. He is the by far the face of the movie, and he's a pretty goofy dude. But if you look into their history, it's kind of interesting. He graduated like the 60s from Yale uh, with a degree. He was going to be a social worker, basically. And uh, I think his degree was in Chinese studies because he thought maybe China had something at that time, you know, that was worth looking into because they were, you know, going through massive upheaval and stuff. Uh, And he was just very socially concerned about the world and what's going on. He even, uh, before he dove into the workforce, he went, I think, and joined the Peace Corps for a while uh, and taught in Chad, like, you know, a place with no electricity, no nothing or whatever, and really got exposed to this sad, sad, you know, side of the world. And he even said at one point, even with China and Chinese studies, that was one of his biggest disappointments, that what China did ultimately at that time anyway, you know, the Cultural Revolution, everything like that turned out to be horrible for their people. Uh, and it wasn't this grand, you know, uprising of the of the lower class that it was supposed to be. Um, and again, it just became the elites are running everything and everybody else is kind of beaten down. And I think that really shaped his worldview. And if you look at Troma's films, now they started out doing sex comedies. L- Lloyd Kaufman himself, such an interesting character. And, and if you're at all interested in him, you should read his book. I have his book. I have a couple of his books. I'm really just f- fascinated by the studio and by him. But the only reason he got into film after he was a little jaded on this is he had some friends who were major Hollywood producers, and uh, he did some work on some major productions. Rocky was edited on Troma's stuff. He did uh, location scouting for Saturday Night Fever was a big reason why they chose uh, the big disco that that they did it in. And he did some work with Oliver Stone, wrote and produced uh, a, couple, a movie or two with him. And then he started doing these sex comedies because that would pay the bills. And they got this sort of surprise hit with a movie called uh, Squeeze Play, which is revolving around baseball. And uh, it's even said that Bob Clark, or at least Lloyd Kaufman says that Bob Clark, who we love, mm-hmm. uh, who did Porky's, um, actually visited them and took notes and talked with them a lot uh, while they were doing squeeze play to figure out what they were doing so he could try to mimic it for Porky's because what they were doing was really working. But, you know, they just didn't really get a lot of success. And 
Lloyd Kaufman basically read some article maybe in the New York Times or someplace that said that horror is dead as a genre. So he was like, okay, mm-hmm. we'll do a horror film. His idea was that they would do this horror film and he, they would call it Health Club Health Club Horror, I think, or Health Club Massacre or something like that. Uh, and that was this film. That was the script. So this movie wasn't really originally intended to be a sort of superhero movie. I imagine that when they got it all together and they looked at it, they thought, it is kind of a superhero film, and so they call it The Toxic Avenger. But this was meant, first and foremost, to be a horror movie. And, you know, when the first screen comes up, it says which is a great thing for anybody who's trying to market a film. Warning, this film contains scenes of extreme violence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is smart. I'm sure it played really well at the drive-in crowds and things like that. It really made this film notorious at the time. And, you know, now we've kind of seen it all. Uh, But at that time, to see the level of extreme violence in this film, especially played against the utter campiness and sort of silliness, uh, uh, almost a Mel Brooks, like a lowbrow Mel Brooks kind of way. Oh, yeah. That they're doing it. It's, It's an odd mix. It's a really jarring mix. And again, especially back in the 80s when this movie came out, it was like unlike anything I think anybody had ever seen, really. Well, it's fun. You know, I had never even drawn that connection but it is kind of mel brooks like you know it's it's over the top ridiculous humor and silly silly situations and silly silly jokes and very stereotypically drawn characters who are kind of yes. one note but played up to the hilt right yes yes and i think that mel brooks does it better but i can definitely see whether it's an influence or if it's just a parallel I don't know but I can definitely see that and and there is some charm uh, in some of this but you know I saw that thing about the extreme violence and then you say we've kind of seen it all and um, it's true I mean there there are a lot of like gruesome effects which I'm sure we'll talk about and and they're they're played well and and you know for horror fans it's fun but one of the things that i kind of i don't know i hesitate to say respect but i will say it that i respect about this studio is that they are willing to push boundaries that other studios won't push you know they're they're not afraid to point shotguns at babies and they're not afraid to blow away a seeing eye dog and Mm. run over run over a kid's head and you know like these things that just in a big studio movie would be oh no no that's that's too much we can't do that you know these these guys aren't afraid to go there and quite nonchalantly yeah (laughs) you know kudos yeah, it's just another scene in this movie, really. You know, it's not played right. up. It's not, you know, it's just we move on from it. And yeah, you're right. Uh, when I first saw this movie, this is my recollection. Sometimes I question my recollections, but I remember seeing the covers in the video stores and really wanting to see this movie. And my recollection, anyway, is that my dad was like, all right, we'll go see it. Now, I'm not sure if it was rated at the time or if it was R. I have a really hard time, my dad, knowing my dad being the kind of guy he was, to remember that he would just rent a movie that could be potentially like this without watching it first. Sure. But my recollection, anyway, was that we sat down and we watched it together. And I know I was young at the time when I saw it. It was probably late 80s. I wasn't even, maybe even in middle school yet. And I remember being pretty shocked by one scene in particular, which it turns out is turned out to be one of the most notorious scenes in this movie. And that is that, you know, a couple of the main characters in this film, that one of the things that they do is they 
like to run around and hit people uh, with their cars. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it's so it's like 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 death race, you know? Like mm-hmm. they they have a, a scoring system. <laughs> yeah. Julie, Julie, the points, the rules. What are they? Okay, let me see if I can remember the whole list. Now, Jews, wants, niggers, and chinks. They're all worth 25 points. But Puerto Ricans, they're worth 30 points. Now, kids under 12, they're worth double points. And I mean, as a kid, I thought this was this was absolutely horrible. And then the scene where they drive through and they hit this kid on a bike and he gets bloodied in the road, but they see he's not dead yet. So they roll back over him and crush his head. And the head crushing is a pretty gruesome bit. It is. Even though it was done very cheaply, they just injected a melon with a bunch of, you know, red colored Cairo syrup and stuff and put a wig on it. Uh, Just the way it's presented is absolutely convincing. And yeah, it's disturbing, and I think that that casts like a pall a, a bit over the film, you know, especially for me at that time. Whoa, I've never seen this in a movie before. These people are totally horrible people, and I can't believe I just saw that. Yeah. There's something to be said for that. You know, it's an exploitation film, right? But it's still... Yeah. There's something about that that works. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. <laughs> and and there there are shocking scenes um and and frankly you know just out of context like if you were to see these things completely out of context the it's it's primarily well no not primarily it's entirely practical effects and for as low budget as these movies are they really put care into these effects and and they they look pretty darn convincing they really are there's one scene um well okay the whole movie is about this nerdy kid who works at a health club and he's super 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 nerdy and there are you know these like super 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 jockey guys (laughs) right total douchebags and they're douchebag girlfriends who are hot but awful and they play a prank on him and he ends up because Tromaville is the toxic waste dumping capital of the world they play this prank on him where they're super they they humiliate him you know they get him to dress up in this unitard with a uh tutu and um they humiliate him in front of everybody and they chase him through this health club and he ends up jumping out a window and falling into this toxic waste (laughs) that's all it's all you need to know and then he turns into this mutated big buff guy and then he's the toxic avenger and i i think that the suggestion is that something from the toxic waste has awakened something in him that drives him then Mm. to go after villains bad people yeah um and so that's what he does he starts going after bad people and killing them uh basically but there are just these scenes uh where and that's in the second half of the movie it just kind of becomes that it just kind of becomes him being kind of this anti-hero going around taking care of all the bad guys and there's one scene in particular where these three very weird eclectic thugs (laughs) break into this mexican restaurant 
and they're robbing the mes- restaurant, but that's almost secondary to the fact that they're just terrorizing these patrons. Mm. And um, one guy kind of stands up and tries to be the hero. And- hey, why don't you leave her alone? <laughs> we'll give you our money if you want money. Hey, look, pal, why don't you just let everyone go and keep me as a hostage, huh? Huh? That's an idea, ain't it, Frank? No, thanks. That's a pretty gory effect. And then there's a lady with a baby, and one of the guys taunts her with the shotgun and and points the shotgun at the baby. And I read that the actor who played this actually quit the movie. Like, after they filmed this scene where he had to point a shotgun at the baby, he was done. Like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, that is, you know, that's, that's pretty taboo stuff that you're getting into there. <laughs> And 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 then uh, there's a blind girl, this beautiful blonde, blind girl. And um, first, one of the guys starts tormenting her, and and so the dog starts barking at him, and he tells the other guy, take take care of this dog, and and they shoot the dog, and. You know, I hate that. I hate violence against animals, but I had read about it in advance, so I was prepared, and <laughs> I, I knew how they did it, and it was fine. I wasn't all that, and, and it's so over the top, gory. It you can you can really pretty easily suspend your disbelief and and understand that <laughs> the, dog's the dog's fine. fine. It's all right. <laughs> it's okay, Craig. The dog's fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but then again, something else that really disturbs me and and what you mentioned before is what is almost the most shocking about it is that they just do these things so nonchalantly like Mm -hmm. oh it's just no big deal like one of the bad guys makes this blind girl stand up and he's taunting her and talking about how hot she is and he has some terrible punny line my friend Ben. You need to make everything all right. Just let me introduce you to Ben. 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 And he bends her over the table and is preparing to rape her right there in broad daylight, right in front of this entire restaurant full of people. And God, it's just, it really disturbed me. And like, it never gets there. You know, there's the suggestion that he's undoing his pants and he's got her bent over and and all the people around are acting so shocked and luckily our hero the toxic avenger you know comes in and in a long violent sequence takes all these guys out but you know it's it's just that approach to these really kind of taboo mm-hmm. situations that it makes them stand out as a studio, <laughs> you know, I, I I can't think of many other studios that are doing this. I don't know if we've ever mentioned it before, but fans of the podcast, we have a lost episode, which will remain lost. But we uh, we we <laughs> tried to record a uh, podcast over the movie Street Trash. And that's the only other movie that I can think of that I've seen or that we've done that did the same sort of stuff, you know, just really kind of kind of disturbing. And the the, the trivia behind this, folks, is that we tried to record it and something went wrong. And um, 
That has happened to us before, very, very early in the podcast. The same thing happened to us with the Lost Boys, and we were like, darn it. And so we recorded it again, <laughs> you know, like kind of having the same conversations mm-hmm. that we'd had before. We couldn't bring ourselves to do it this time. We couldn't bring ourselves, <laughs> no. With Street Trash, it was so disturbing and gross that we're like, nope can't do it again we hated the movie we hated talking about the movie we didn't want to think about the movie no and and you're right like that movie had um it was different though you know i think it was more mean-spirited or just more clueless you know yeah oh yeah absolutely the nice thing about this and i think this is why this stuff is shocking but you can give it a, a long wide pass is that they don't want to make these movies that are just mean spirited and and you know uh, even from the beginning they you know Lloyd Kaufman said when he was writing this horror movie he wanted to put a lot of humor into it because he didn't want people to just be scared he wanted them to laugh and and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of at the core of what they do everything is humor now it's extremely lowbrow it's extremely juvenile type humor but it's mixed in there and it kind of has to be right? Otherwise, it does. It would come across as gross and horrible. And I think the reason they're movies, and I think I was getting this earlier, but I got a little off track, is that almost every single one of these trauma films has this same core social political thrust. Mm -hmm. And that is that the people who are in charge are in charge, and they're really bad, and all they do is take advantage of everybody else. Yes. And the people who are evil are really, really evil in these movies. They're just amped up to a thousand, right? A thousand percent evil. And so, you know, they just do it that way. There's nothing subtle about it. And I think that's probably why these films do appeal to a certain segment of the population who who worries about this a lot or who who can really get behind this message. And this is a kind of a catharsis, right? You can experience this movie and you can uh, kind of feel, yeah, we're sticking it to the man. Because in the end, this this monster, this Frankenstein, is everybody's hero, right? Right. Um, he overcomes the insanely, ridiculously over-the-top mayor who's huge and fat, and all he does is sit around and get massaged and eat giant sandwiches and um, make backroom cigar deals that are going to basically kill people. Right. Uh, and he gets it at the end, too, right? But that's Tromaville, and most of their movies take place in Tromaville, and that's the story of Tromaville, is that it's supremely corrupt, uh, and the people have almost no chance, and these movies take place in that environment. You know, we had that same thing with Poultrygeist, right? Where it was right. the corporation that comes in and, and, you know, doesn't care about people, doesn't care that they're feeding them garbage that could kill them. And so, you know, these bad stuff, bad things happen to them, and eventually the day wins out. I think that that is what redeems these movies to some extent to me, is that the bad guys, they're capitalists they're they're greedy they're gluttonous and horrible people and you know to be fair they're terribly one note but you know they're they're set up as villains and then the heroes are these underdog guys um in poultry geist it was you know the little geeky fast food worker and this one it's the little geeky janitor but they're the good guys you know they they want to help people and they want to do the right thing and um so to have these kind of underdog hero stories i think just about everybody can appreciate that or relate to that on some level and and that is redemptive for me you know in the end just like you said the people of tromaville initially 
you know, they're horrified because this guy, he looks like a monster. Ultimately, he's not really that monstrous, but he's very different, you know. But once people see that what he's doing is for the good of the town and for the good of the people, they get behind him. And when the corrupt mayor and the corrupt police force um, set out on this mission to kill and destroy him for their own selfish motives, ultimately, the people literally surround him to protect him. Yeah, from the military, yeah. Yeah, you know, this guy, he's he's a good guy. He's ugly, but he's not doing anything wrong, and well, and the people appreciate him. And, and by the end, it becomes a hero story. You know, the, the town celebrates him, and he gets the girl. It's a happy ending. The yeah. movie has a happy ending. Yeah, and there's even a little kernel in there of... There's a scene where he takes out this woman who goes to a laundromat. And at first, you know, this woman shows up at this laundromat. She's this little old lady and she hands her laundry over and she has some conversation with the guy. And then for no apparent reason, the Toxic Avenger shows up and, you know, basically kills this woman by tossing her in the dryer for a while. And you're like, whoa, like, what is, yeah. what was that about? I was really confused. I wrote that down in my notes. Like, he killed this little old lady for no reason because, like... Up until now, they've even commented on it several times that, you know, some scientist says, oh, the toxic waste must have triggered something in him that makes him rage against bad people, but only bad people. And then you see him kill this little old lady. I'm like, what? Yeah. I thought he was a good guy. And they really withhold this from you, and it's it's really pretty smart, actually. Like, he sits down then, as he comes back in from this, he's coming back to the home that he's created with his girlfriend, and he sits in down... The- toxic waste dump the toxic waste dump. <laughs> they've decorated and everything there was a whole montage <laughs> but he comes down and he sits down and he says i don't know what's coming over me i'm feeling you know um i'm out of control i'm out of control and you're thinking oh my gosh maybe he is well it actually turns out that this woman had did was kind of bad right she had some sons she was whatever. a white slaver white slaver that's right so she's like the worst yeah. <laughs> right just a, a slaver in general is bad so yeah it turns out that that's that but it's interesting that the movie throws that possibility in for just a few minutes you know and uh there's 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 some interesting things going on here i I really what i really like about this movie is is that it just it's fun to watch I, i really enjoyed watching this movie probably more than you did but it has an energy and a focus that i feel like trauma's later movies lack you know, we watch Poultrygeist, and like you said, Poultrygeist feels like it's just one sight gag after another. It's just a joke a second, which, you know, is its own thing. Sure. But this movie moves, right? This movie starts out. It's got an energy that I feel like never lets up. And uh, it, it barrels through the plot, but it doesn't overstay its welcome, I think, anyway. Um, and it's got just an intensity uh, and an energy about it that, that just keeps me glued to the screen. And that scene that you talked about in the, the taco restaurant or the Mexican place or whatever. The Mexican place. Which is yeah. literally the name of the... I thought that was a fake name, but apparently that was actually the name of the place they filmed it in. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like an old Taco Bell, doesn't it? When they used to have... Kind of. Yeah. You know, brick and arches and stuff. 
But that scene just encapsulates, I think, what I loved about this movie. I thought the villains, when they came in, were super hyper-amped up, like they're on PCP or something. They're over the top. They reminded me a little bit of, do you remember Weird Science, when mm-hmm. they had that big party and like the biker gang broke in and oh, like yeah. terrorized them? That's <laughs> that's what these guys reminded me of. Like They were so over the top, but it was the 80s. <laughs> yeah, it was, right? But I liked that guy, the one who was kind of painted with half of his face, who was holding uh-huh. the gun. Leroy. I, I honestly thought he was like one of the best actors in the movie, to be honest, even though it's a movie where it's hard to tell where the acting's good because everybody's just hamming it up. Yeah. Um, there's just an energy about it and just that evilness. So, you know, the scene goes on in it. But that is, you know, we've seen a lot of bad movies and we've seen a lot of really incompetent films and we've seen laughable fight scenes, even from really, really good movies. And I felt like at least the action in this film, especially in this scene, is just intense and good. Well, and if nothing else, it's creative. I mean, he he kills all three of them in creative ways. Like, the leader of the gang, I feel like, is kind of this Samuel L. Jackson type guy. <laughs> I would have never noticed. I read about it before I even saw the movie, but apparently this guy was an amputee and he only had one arm so the way that Toxie kills him is he rips his arm off and then beats him with it. <laughs> <laughs> him and his buddies it's funny yeah. <laughs> um but that 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 doesn't kill him eventually so like this is all in a taco shop so one of the guys he kills in the fryer by frying his hands, which is kind of stupid, but all right, whatever. Uh, and then the other guy, he makes like a sundae out of his face and then like uses the milkshake stirring machine to like stab him through the throat. Oh, man. And, and the third guy, he throws in the pizza oven. Um, and it's it's so silly. And it plays out over probably five minutes. Like. Mm. That's the other thing about this movie. There are multiple scenes, mostly fight scenes, that go on for a long time, and they are not poorly choreographed. No, like, they're great. They're pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And so there are these big fight scenes that go on for a long time, and that's kind of fun. There's also uh, a car. It's not a car oh. chase scene because nobody's chasing them, but like it's this like fast-paced fight in a car that goes on for a long time and that's good too yeah yeah i mean they're they're well paced and well filmed i guess i i don't know i mean they're exciting yeah i i was actually kind of surprised because they go on for longer than you would expect a scene like this to go on for especially in a low budget film but it doesn't feel like a slog like oh okay i get it you're fighting let's wrap this up no i mean it's pretty engaging stuff i was impressed yeah that's kind of what i was getting at you know is i just thought that just epitomized the movie in general the fight scenes were great they were well staged well choreographed the acting was over the top hammy but once you kind of establish that it's not it doesn't come across as bad right i mean because it is what it is i mean it's not realistic so it's like like i said it's kind of like mad magazine really sort of playing out in front of you yeah it's all kind of a joke 
But then, you know, the violence and even, like you said, the um, the gore effects are surprisingly good, mm-hmm. both for this era and this kind of film. We've seen so much crap, mm-hmm. so much crap, which is, you know, way, way beneath this. And so somehow, you know, even though, again, it's not everybody's cup of tea, it all kind of works for me. And especially, you know, after you've seen it once or twice and you kind of know what you're expecting i was really looking forward to seeing this movie again because i remembered it being a fun ride and i was hoping i wouldn't be disappointed and it turns out i wasn't i mean i enjoyed watching it again you know and it has been years since i've seen this movie and i was worried because like i said their later stuff is not always that great uh it's a little plotting sometimes and it's a little tedious you know they did one called terra firmer and that came out and i bought like this three dvd set of it and i was excited to watch it and i could barely get through it because it was just uh they were just trying too hard and this just just epitomizes an era when they were really doing it i mean they had this movie trauma's war which is a film that i love that they were really hoping was going to be their mainstream breakout hit but they put way too much silliness into it. it could have been it could have been a pretty decent action war movie for its time but then they put in dumb stuff like the there was like siamese twins like generals in charge of it all and the 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 guy who was like they were spreading aids that was the big Mm. bad thing that the guy was gonna do was gonna drop some aids bomb on everybody and then he has a pig nose and i mean it, it got really a little too trauma which i think the original writer of that film really was fighting against but lloyd kaufman kind of was like no we got to throw this stuff in there and it probably turned out in there well it almost bankrupted the studio they were really banking on that movie and it didn't they did a couple sequels to this movie that were not so good a couple aren't there like there're three i feel like they're like Oh gosh, there's a yeah, which surprises me. Have you seen them? Have you watched this? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I have. You know, the I was really excited too because the second one takes place in Japan and and it was shot in Japan most of it. It was weird. I as I remember the story anyway because I haven't read about it recently. But as I remember it, you know, he was talking with some distributors and they were asking, you know, if he had a sequel to Toxic Avenger, and he said, Oh yeah, we're working on right now, and basically sold the sequel to them right then and there and then turned around and told his partner, well, we got to start going on a sequel to the toxic Avenger. And he ended up shooting so much footage for it. And it it ended up being so long that he decided to chop it into two. Uh. So there was a part two and a part three. And it really shows, I mean, it's both of them are not really that great. There's a fourth one that they did where they just, I mean, literally, I think in the beginning, the narrator says, we're going to pretend that the last two didn't exist. (laughs) Uh. And it's called Citizen Toxie. And I remember thinking that that one was much better, but I know critically that one also wasn't received very well. So, you know, Troma's kind of got its limits in a lot of that just has to do with its market appeal. You know, it's just so niche. Yeah. It's so niche that... It is. They keep making movies like this. They're they're not going to break out and, and make millions of dollars. You know, they're just not. I just don't get the impression, and who knows, you know, people have to be business-minded in any industry, but it just doesn't seem like that is their primary concern. If it were, they wouldn't be making movies the way that mm. they are. I mean, you know, I, I it, it seems like they have every intention of appealing to a particular audience and they have a particular style and there's something admirable about that, I would say. And, you know, I've only seen this and Poultrygeist, um, but I feel like I have a general idea of the stuff that you can expect and mm. you can expect, you know, kind of goofball dialogue and and quippy jokes that was 
something else too. You, like the guy in the beginning, Melvin, the janitor. I just didn't find him appealing at all. Like I found it difficult to even be sympathetic towards him because he just was so weird and awkward. He he wasn't real, right? I mean, just wasn't real. right. And <laughs> and like the acting is so over the top, and and that's fine. Whatever you know. There's one scene where two of the villainous young people slug and his girlfriend whatever her name were they're having sex in the locker room of this health club and melvin happens upon them and he just stands there and kind of giggles while he's watching <laughs> them and like what are you doing like <laughs> turn around walk away but then but then when he becomes the toxic avenger he changes entirely i have to assume it's a different actor because he's a much different body type he's big and beefy and his voice drops there's even a joke where his mom's like oh my son's finally gone through puberty yay and it's funny because when he's monstrous and when he's attacking people it's all like Uh, but but then when he talks it's like hey 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 it's all right i'm not gonna hurt you are you okay? Like, <laughs> it's almost kind of like this sophisticated voice, which is funny. But I also thought that it was funny that once he actually gets in to start like taking out the bad guys, then he becomes quippy. Like, almost like Freddy Krueger quippy. And you can tell all your scum friends that things are going to change in this town. I'm not just another pretty face. <laughs> like, as he's beating people up and killing them, he's got these quips. Mm-hmm. And and so that humor is, is there, and uh, I can only imagine that that, you know, is an undercurrent of most of their films. You're going to get the extreme gore. I wouldn't say that this is necessarily any more violent than many other horror movies that I've seen, but with you know, the practical effects and lots and lots of blood. You're going to get raunchy sex jokes. You're going to get lots of boobies. Again, like I said, I just, I really, really believe that there is, there has to be, because they keep making movies. Uh, There's got to be an audience for these. And so fans of these movies, you know, good for you. I'm I'm glad (laughs) that they're out there for you. It, It doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but even just, and this happens all the time, you know, I came into this thinking, oh man, how am I going to talk about this movie that I didn't really like? Even just talking to you and hearing it from the perspective of somebody who does, you know, have some fondness for these movies it makes me reconsider them and think you know they're appealing to some people and i i I get that uh i appreciate a studio and the people behind it who have heart and who have a vision and uh who are doing their thing so more power to you and you know to be fair trauma's always been a mixed bag for me too I, i don't think i'm punk enough you know to really get obsessed about their movies or to really you know, enjoy them at that at that level. Or Todd, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're not punk enough for no, anything. No, I'm not. I'm, really pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty boring white guy, right? But you know, I think just uh, some of the earlier films again, they have a kind of heart and a focus to them that some of the later movies don't. 
I think that if I were to make some recommendations, if a person out there wanted to see some more trauma films, first of all, I would say check out the Toxic Avenger before you see Poultry Geist. You know, yeah, check yeah. out some earlier stuff. I have seen Squeeze Play and some of their earlier sex comedies. They're perfectly fine. They have one called The Big Turn On, I think. Um, one called The Battle of Love's Return, and they're pretty typical stuff you'd see on like USA Up All Night. You know, There's, yeah, mm-hmm. they're nothing special about them now. Maybe there was at that time, but they're fun and they're fine for what they are. But Troma's War, I really enjoyed just for the action and the inventiveness of it. It is a pretty good, fun little story. Uh, and it just has some of those silly over-the-top elements. I really enjoyed, at least remember enjoying, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, which is maybe, in my opinion, the closest thing that they get to something a little more mainstream. It's a ridiculous idea. It's like this police cop detective guy. I can't even remember what happens to him, but anyway, he turns into, it's another type of superhero where he's this sort of Japanese samurai, not samurai, but kabuki superhero. And he has like, you know, flying chopsticks and silly things like that, that he does. But the story itself is trying to be a little more serious, a little more inventive. And then Tromeo and Juliet, that kind of came at a time when I think they were about to call it quits, and probably due to the quality of James Gunn's writing and ideas, um, he took I, I, what they were doing. Really, that was the same time that Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet came out, which, uh-huh. which was a good movie, and it really took that modern take on Romeo and Juliet. And so this was sort of like their modern take on his modern take on Romeo and Juliet in the trauma universe. It got quite a bit of buzz. I remember hearing quite a bit about that when it came out. And honestly, it works. I mean, it, I found it at times a little too much, and I found it at times to be a little bit to sit through, like maybe just sometimes Shakespeare in general. <laughs> sure. But I think if, if you wanted to see something that's very different, uh, but again, along similar lines of what they do, I mean, it still has that trauma spirit, but it's just not a bunch of over-the-top violence and silly campiness, you know? Uh, I I checked that one out as well. Well, and the thing is, I didn't love this movie, but I actually thought that the idea behind it was kind of fun. Um, And I can see why somebody would have thought, you know what? This might make a good cartoon for kids. Mm. I don't know that it would fly in our PC culture today with, you know, the whole toxic waste and disfigurement and and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the message is good. You know, the message is it doesn't matter that he looks like this. He's a good guy and he's helping out. One of my favorite parts of the movie is there's a a hero montage in the second half where, yeah, he's fighting bad guys sometimes, but then he's also walking little old ladies across the street. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. And other little cute things like that, you know? Like, he's just kind of going around being a good deed-doer. And I could see how you could run with those elements of being a good person and it doesn't matter what you look like and you know fighting for the environment you know like that's though these are good messages for kids i can see how it would uh work like that and i also am fascinated by the idea of a reimagining or a remake it's interesting to know that the original people are behind it because really what i would like 
to see happen and who knows what will happen but i would like to see them take it a little bit more seriously i think Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more traditionally gosh i hate that i'm even saying that but um you know don't make the nerdy guy so obnoxiously over the top you know make him an everyman you know make him me you know (laughs) the guy that's you know just not super popular in a world of beautiful people and and then something you know it's not unlike many superhero origin stories where you've got you know the underdog and um, something happens, you know, they get bit by a radioactive spider or whatever, and then they have these powers or whatever. I feel like they could go a little bit less over the top, um, and, and I don't know. It could be interesting. I we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think there's no question. I mean, this idea definitely has staying power. That's probably why we've seen it kind of get touched on throughout the decades. And of yeah. course, now with superhero movies being huge, right. everybody's trying to mine this. You would hope and think and, and pray, really, that they take a little bit more mainstream approach to this you know, and do it so that it could finally appeal to a mass audience and maybe get some legs behind it. Fans of this movie would probably throw up you know probably suggestion you know that, oh yeah you're gonna make it all mainstream just like everybody else and, and i get that you know if 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 this is something that you've grown up with something that you're a big fan of you might see that as a bastardization uh of the source material but i think there's room for both yeah there's got to be a mix somewhere in between and hopefully this guy is gonna is gonna honor that well, we'll see. I would give it a shot. I didn't love the movie, but I loved uh, or at least appreciated some of the concepts behind it. And ultimately, I was charmed by Toxie. Aww. I mean, I wouldn't want to make out with him like the blind girl like, did. But... <laughs> like the blind girl. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I'm glad that they had a fulfilling sexual relationship. <laughs> they sure did. They didn't, they didn't hold that back from us either, did they? No. <laughs> God. <laughs> toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode, and I also thank you to Phantom Dark Dave uh, for suggesting this. He has a nice podcast. It's called Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, and he's actually recently interviewed some people like Vincent Price's daughter. So you can go and check that out, as well as our podcast, anywhere that you find podcasts, by searching Two Guys in a Chainsaw. You can also find our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where we have all of our back episodes posted, or you can stream us live there. Also, find us on Facebook, and let us know if there are any films that you would like us to see. We love getting requests, and we just like having conversations with you about the movies that we've seen. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. 